0: Single week. Nonprofits change our world every day. Nonprofits are the organizations that make the greatest impact. And I am your boy, the nonprofit sector connector, Tommy D, coming at you as I do every Friday morning, just below the roof of my house in my attic. The show is called Philanthropy and Focus. I'm called Tommy D. I've been called Tommy D since I'm like two years old, to be honest with you. And I've been saying, like, hey man, I'm your boy Tommy D. And my buddy Mick Collins, he's always like, Yo, you're my boy, Tommy D. But like, I as my hair falls out, as I get old, as I'm walking around with a cane one day, I'm still gonna be your boy, Tommy D. And this show will still be around. And this show is called Philanthropy in Focus. And the show is all about doing a couple of things. It's meeting with nonprofit leaders. It's helping them tell their story, not that they necessarily need help, but it's my platform it's my connections and helping amplify their message. That's what I'm talking about, because I believe that if it wasn't for nonprofits, much of the work we, we talk about on this program doesn't get done. If it wasn't for the leaders of nonprofit organizations, this work doesn't get done. And the people who need the work and services done by the sector, it, it just doesn't happen. It's not the work is not complete. So. Uh, last week, my, my buddy, my friend Maheen Kaleem was here from Grantmakers for Girls of Color. It, after that, I'm connecting her with my friend Renee Daniel Flagler of Girls Inc. of Long Island. I mean, this is the stuff that happens in real time. These are the connections. I will tell you this. I have a bunch of ideas for all new programming, a whole bunch of shows that I want to do. One specific show is going to be about the the subject matter experts the thought leadership for the sector you know whereas on this show we spotlight the work being done by the sector it's a different version of that it's going to be really dedicated to getting the work out that that solution providers that thought leaders that subject matter experts are providing to the sector more to come on that i'll tell you all about it trust me because i just keep talking bobby brown i just keep talking and talking so they'll everybody will hear all about it i'm talking to I want to call you a friend, Bobby, but I know you don't even know me that well yet, but <laughs> <laughs> newest executive director of Young New Yorkers, Bobby Brown is here. I'm going to read some some of Bobby's background. Um, she's she's an educator, so, sociopolitical activist, and a visual artist. When we talk about what this organization is doing, what Young New Yorkers has done and is doing, it's going to make a lot of sense that I think, I don't think. They have found what I would say is the ideal match for what their organization is doing, Bobby, and what you have done and are doing in your own career and from your own background. So, first of all, I'd like to ask you a couple things. How are you today? And I'd like to say welcome to my show and welcome to my attic. How are you doing? What's going on?
1: Hi, thank you. Good morning. Uh, Thanks for having me, Tommy. Thanks for having Y&Y on the show. I'm doing pretty good. Nice attic, by the way. (laughs)
0: the move is the power move is you all only get to see what i want you to see here in the attic Uh, because if you see what my wife tells me is a mess i you know people wouldn't think the attic is as nice as it is but thank you for your compliments i appreciate (laughs) it thank you for being here thanks so much no
1: problem thanks for having us i uh, really appreciate giving the spotlight and, and that you continue to give spotlight to uh, small cbo's um, and nonprofits of the like it's really imperative that that continues to happen so i appreciate that very right. much so and i'm doing well i'm doing well it's friday so you can't really complain the sun is shining um smelled like crap outside so it, you know
0: maybe yeah, that's it right
1: it's, it's ridiculous, <laughs> it's ridiculous.
0: I, we, that's a whole nother show a whole nother conversation but i i just like you know it, i'm in a beautiful like i live out here in the country out in long island you know i call it the country you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know I, I just that's that's the tough part about being in the city man like it, why does it have to we're getting that's a whole nother show that's another show yeah. we got to talk to the mayor i got to get the mayor on the show one day we'll talk yeah. about it. but uh, i'm just i'm taken by this organization i'm i'm taken by the work the organization has do has done and is doing um we'll get into that but really for me i'm always inspired to hear the story of the person i don't i i don't remember i don't know if you remember there was a show uh called biography on a and e and i it was like a and e was i don't even know arts and entertainment i don't know what a and e stood for but it was like it was one of these like secondary or tertiary tv networks right that like and they had to show biography and it would i loved it i loved now i don't necessarily love reading biographies because i like to be told the story more than i like to read the whole book but um that was always cool for me so can we start with your biography can we start with like your background the work you've done you know i always like to find out what drew somebody to the service work to the service sector to non-profit i mean you're you're an attorney you told me that you always knew you wanted to be an attorney let's talk a little bit about that
1: yeah absolutely so i hopefully i'll be licensed this fall so i'm not quite an attorney i don't get in trouble um but uh yeah so Uh, Like we were talking about before, I am from California all the way through California girl. And I really started getting into working in my community, probably around 11 or 12 years old, I had joined an organization called Project New Village, which was a small nonprofit based in San Diego, Southeast San Diego, where I'm from specifically, uh, that focused on reducing teen pregnancy rates. During that time, we had a high rate of teen pregnancy. I don't know if you remember that time, like it was across the country, exploding teens were getting pregnant. So in Southeast San Diego, we had a very high percentage of that. And so I would go there after school and just participate activities and kind of try to get involved with messaging and literature. And one day they had a program on how to uh, test for lead paint poisoning. And, you know, homes, particularly homes in urban areas before uh, lead paint poisoning was banned in 1978, I believe, out in California, uh, a lot of homes were painted with lead paint, right? And so you already know that there were health symptoms that kind of manifested out of that and particularly impacted black communities because it went untested so with that I was like 12 years old sitting in workshops learning how to um, inform my community my neighbors on how to test their their homes on the paint and <laughs> and <let> me,
0: so-, <laughs> so this 12 year old young lady comes up and is like let, let me teach you how to test your paint like in your house to see if you got lead paint see look yeah. let me up the story for one second yeah. I'm gonna stare into the camera right now. For you all who are paying attention to me you can change the world you can make an impact at 12 at 22 at 92 but i have a 12 year old girl <laughs> who lives in my house and we might have to have a discussion later on about lead paint and things like that not that she needs to con- be concerned about lead paint in in you know 2022 but it's the it's the idea of the lead paint it's the idea of a young person finding that initiative and finding that calling to do the work to be involved right that's what i'm so like that inspires me like that's not just some throwaway conversation like that's really you got involved, I want to hear more about it, but I just wanted to say, I wanted to say words at the same time, so
1: (laughs) no, no problem at all. And so that's what i did i went with a group of, so It was it was also stipend based i got paid so that was also great um programs that pay students it, it always helps right um and so just learned how to do that went around to uh, different neighbors gave them literature and then also would test their pain and show them their levels and then also uh the the harms that were associated with that so i started doing working around that like i said around 12 years old and it just kind of manifested into uh, other work. I joined, I started going to city council meetings when my parents relocated to the suburbs. Uh, and that's when I learned then, because I went from living in a predominantly Black and Latino community in San Diego to moving to Temecula to Valley, where it was pretty much 90% plus white, um, middle to upper middle class. And so that experience was different. You know, I was in a high school with 4,300 students in less than, I think, of us were black or of color at all. And so with that, I started going to city council meetings to understand what was going on in my community. And that's what I learned very fast that the constituencies who put those folks in office, that's who they're gonna ride for. Um, And that kind of laid my basis (laughs) for how I kind of dealt with everything and then started to understand my who I was as a black woman, um, that really started to kind of peel that back. And that's when I went off to HBCU. So that kind of laid the foundation again, going historically black college, which was very small out in North Carolina, John C. Smith University. I think that really gave me some insight on what does it mean to be black in America, to be a woman of America identity, um, and all the different tribulations that you kind of have to unpack to get to where you need to uh so i'll stop there because i can go on
0: <laughs> i will tell you i don't want you to stop there i want you to go on because this is the story you know like and uh for those of you who are not watching on video or and are just listening to me i will tell you this i'm a white man uh and i'm 44 years old and i grew up on long island uh, what i'm not real clear in fact in fact i was just in a meeting the other night with uh with a group um I'm not clear what class I am, and and there's an exploration that I might be. I mean, I, like I thought I was middle class, Bobby. Like my whole life, but I I don't know. Like I I remember like times in our lives where I would say, like I go back, I say, Mom, remember when we were poor? And she goes, We weren't really ever poor, but I I always feel like there was a lot of times when we were younger where we were overextended. Might be a better way to say it, you know? Like both my parents worked. My mom at times worked a couple jobs. Um, so I I just. I say it as like an exploration of us as individuals, but us as a community, you know, the larger, the the greater community. And, you know, um, I I studied at the Institute for Nonprofit Practice over the last year. I met many people in in the nonprofit sector. just to, just to put it out there, I, I was one of the few white men who were involved in the work we were doing. And I, I'm there and was there and will continue to be there because I want to I want to learn. I think that's what we're supposed to be doing is learning from each other. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I mentioned this thing about class because um, I'll just put it out there. There's a, a friend of mine is very involved in an organization. It's a grant making organization. It's not me who I mentioned already on the show. It's another friend and colleague of ours. And they have this this cohort giving program that's coming up that'll be started in October, and I almost don't want to talk too much about it because I'm going to fill out an application and it'll be funny i 'll have egg on my face if I don't get picked after I do the application, but I just put it out there to the world so there it is so but it's 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 not only a giving project it's an opportunity to learn about you know about class about race about these different things, whereas you know as somebody who really as I say, I, I'm passionate. I, I want to support the sector in whatever ways that I can. I got a lot to learn and and it's a lot to learn about giving. It's a lot to learn about development. Yet when I say development, I mean raising funds for nonprofit organizations. Um, I think that I have a lot to impact the, the sector with, but I'm still trying to figure out what that is and what what I have that the sector might need. So to me, when you talk about these different things, um, it, it's like I I've said this for a long time. I only know the path I've ever been on. I only know the path of a a guy growing up on Long Island, you know, public school and then private high school and things like that. So my exploration is to find out and and see other people and understand other people. So, so the stories you're sharing for, you know, it's your story, but I want to hear it and the people want to hear it. So when we come back, I want to keep going through that because um that's what i think as my opinion it's like as a society it's this evolution of where we're going to go is when we can relate to each other better i don't if you want to comment on that real quick before we go to break i, I said a lot so
1: no i love it I welcome in. i'll keep talking
0: very good that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> what we're gonna do when we come back we're gonna keep talking it's tommy D. this is philanthropy and focus bobby brown is here from yny young new yorkers we're gonna stick with her story and then we will be learning about the organization and the incredible impact they make uh for people who who have made some mistakes and i told you in a video earlier this week i've made a whole bunch of mistakes but it's about making mistakes and it's how do we help people uh you know get out of those mistakes because it can be really life-changing so we'll be right back philanthropy and focus
3: To talk radio NYC,
0: uplift, educate, empower.
5: Nonprofits need connections to
4: move in good directions to so cut through all.
0: I tell you I get a kick out of that song. only every time i I hear it, every time I sing it, every time my younger son walks around the house and remixes the lyrics of the song to give me a hard time. he's seven, whatever he can do to break his dad's chops, I guess, is what I do. So, but look, join me in the attic every week. I, I just want to read some background. So um Bachelor of Arts, high honors, graduated cum laude from Johnson C. Smith University with uh, a focus in history minor free law st john's university home of the johnny's right st john used to be the red men then the red storm we've changed the name right years mm-hmm. uh, then mba from metropolitan college of new york juris doctorate from cuny the city university of new york school of law 10 years of experience in community development in the areas of criminal justice and education, including her recent role as assistant Corporation Counsel for the New York Law Department. Um, Bobby, an incredible background. Take us on the journey. Let's go a little more into it. I wanted to give some people, but the newest executive director of Young New Yorkers, Bobby Brown, take it away. Some
1: background more from that. Yes, yeah, I mean that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> I went to all those places, but the, the reason why uh, is because I initially I wanted to work in international human rights law. Uh, that was the focus, um, trying to understand how to kind of like maneuver around the the, the issues of, of disability civility um, during the time period, and and that's why I moved to Italy and <laughs> went to school to do that work. Uh, And during that time period, even during college, I got involved with um, the Black Panther parties and some of the more grassroots organizations that exist at the time. Genesis 6 was happening when I was in college and kind of helped organize like responses around that. So there's just like constant Uh, Iterations and reminders of the type of work that I need to be doing along my way that kind of brought me back to the United States and started working at the Harlem Children's Zone. Um, But even before then, I actually started doing some work with the African Development Corporation, um, or ADP, um, as it's actually known, that works with the CUNY Graduate Research Center. And we started building, uh, working on trying to build a school and a library out in the um, Kenya region, Uh, and so I became their education director there. Um, more of a volunteer position. But like, again, just kind of throughout my life, I kind of see, I started seeing patterns and uh, trends that really pointed me to continue doing some social service work in our our communities. Uh, When I went over to the Harlem Children's Zone, I think that was the position that propelled me uh, a little bit more deeper because it was in Harlem. And uh, Harlem has a very unique and beautiful spirit to it. Uh, whereas the a combat gentrification, still really fights to maintain the sense of the blackness and the spirit that exists in Harlem, right? It's a very few sectors uh, throughout all five boroughs that still has that. Um, and so it's a lot of respect that they're fighting to maintain that. And I wish a lot of us had the opportunity to do that to preserve our communities. But nevertheless, um, working in Harlem Children's Zone really kind of brought me open that it's not just a, my connectivity to my community. is not just because I'm black. My connectivity to my community is, needs to be my willingness to understand the individual experiences that we all go through, right? There is, a, there is a tendency for folks to think just because we're black, we all have this very, 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 very common shared experience and we should kind of all connect. But there's a uniquity even within our day-to-day experiences that separate us. You know, you started talking about class before we went to break, and that's a conversation that we continue to pack amongst blackness. You know, even amongst in the sector, you know, we were talking about having to get uh, some education and do a learning. Even folks who are quote unquote leading the conversation in the sector do not come from the communities in which they're guiding, right? So there's a lot of learning that has to be done across the board, but certain folks are allowed to kind of have that mic. So I think I've been more intentional with choosing spaces and opportunities that allow me to do direct service work and understand what are the the policies and the systems that are in place that uh, that even puts me in the position to continue to have a conversation about poverty, about incarceration rates, about the social economic factors in black communities, about education. Like we've been having these conversations for generations. My parents did, their parents did. Like it's exhausting. Right? Like, and so that's why I've continued that work because not that I want to have us using diversion as a default on misdemeanor felony cases across New York City, of course we can dive into what that should and could look like, but it's also because we have to get to the point where we stop having conversations about all of these issues and how it relates to Black communities at some point, because it's traumatizing for us. So let's start fixing the issues and stop finding a need for CBOs like Y to have to exist. And so that's how I kind of got into work that I did, um, just to give me insight
0: of my life. <laughs> I love that.
1: Thank you. I appreciate,
0: I appreciate your candor. I appreciate you being just so real, because that's what this is is about. My show, it's about just getting real. Let's having these this serious conversation. I want I want to ask you because you talk a lot about, you, you know, you talk about the willingness to understand the community needs and things like that. And I want to I want to ask you this question about. So my my friend Maheen Kaleem, was on the show last week, Grantmakers for Girls of Color, and look, I don't. I don't need to say what a special organization it is, but it's a special organization. And there, what I find is, aside from the fact that they're putting money in the hands of those um who do get such less. I mean, I, the statistic was like 0.5 percent of all dollars that are raised philanthropically go to girls and women of color organizations mm-hmm. that that support girls and women of color. um So, but what what was I don't want to say eye opening because I was aware of it, but their focus is to let the community, the communities know what they need. So it's an it's an empowerment of the community or rather giving the dollars and the resources to the community so they can go do what they need. I'd love to hear like a little bit about that perspective from you as well.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree. The community before we became this over incarcerated country, uh, Black and brown communities have been organizing and defining what public safety meant for themselves in the first place, hence why you got the Black Panther Party in the first place. Right. It wasn't just the response to the removal of um, or the changes that happened after the Vietnam War. But it was also because we needed to we saw the gap. And so we fill those in with social service needs. Right. That's how you got the early morning breakfast clubs. Right. That's how you've got those services in place. And so it's not abnormal for us to return back to that particularly when our systems that we've elected to put in place are not fulfilling their duties. So since that social contract got broken, it makes sense that we do that type of work and super supportive of it. And also because the communities have the credibility, we have the insight and we have the connections to the individuals that we know may either be drivers of crime, may be the ones who need that early prevention, early intervention, the ones who need certain type of attention, because sometimes too, too many times, organizations who start off with this idea of trying to shape or define um, public safety for the communities or how they should respond, start off very well, but the issue is that they don't create sustainable processes within that community for them to, to stay dependent. I mean stay independent. They make them dependent on the same organization that got them going in the first place. So I, I love the idea of making that uh, a continuous practice uh, amongst diversion. We can should continue to have that conversation. And we should also find more ways to not just fund um the communities doing that, but giving them Frameworks, giving them models, giving them more access to resources and services, and giving them the credibility they need, so we can see those type of models uh, across the country.
0: 100 trust-based philanthropy, right? Putting the dollars where the people know how to use the dollars. There's so much history there. When when I talk with me mean, again, because it's fresh in mind, but I think it's relative to our conversation. You know, it, it's about back to the philanthropic roots and what you know, love of people, and that's sort of you know where this sector of philanthropy you know i i did a video last week and it was just like you know love of people that's from the original greek and that's what that word meant but that word doesn't mean that in a lot of circles and in the connotation of philanthropy and i i you know it's not or the connotation is that it's it's wealthy people who can write checks who may not really understand what the the needs are and then but then but also at the same time want to declare how the dollars are being spent when they don't know what's needed in the communities right so it's kind of we could do 10 hours on on that subject matter and that's actually what I'm going to be this other show that I want to do will be conversations around that and around like explaining to corporates I mean the program here is about philanthropy and focus as it stands now is about the leader and it's about the organization but these concepts and ideas that Bobby that you and I are talking about you know, need to be discussed, need to be out there, and I see a whole nother series of me having discussions about specific subject matter and topics. Not because I got the answers, because most of the time I don't have the answers, but I have the friends and I have the connections with the resources and the people who do have these answers and and can really start those conversations. So, um, I want to I, I want to just kind of I have not read the book yet, but I've watched some videos of um, of Michelle Alexander with you know the book, the, the New Jim Crow. Um, it, look, it wasn't planned. I didn't tell you I was going to bring it up. It's just where the conversation started to go just now that it, it came up for me. So I pulled up some stuff. I, I just, um, I I told you in the past that uh, when we spoke earlier that um, Avenues for Justice, Angel Rodriguez is a friend of mine down the Lower East Side, um, and and what that organization has done over the last almost fifty years. Um, I I don't think it's probably probably the people listening to my show. Well, maybe it is a surprise. The the way that the the criminal justice system is mounted in this country is. It's systematically set up to. It's set up incorrectly. I mean, people are getting scooped up and getting their lives taken away from them for things that. uh, Sometimes it's out of the communities that they're in. Sometimes it's just because it's where they are. and then their lives have changed. And I'm setting this all up a little bit. And Bobby, when we come back up, you know, we could discuss this to whatever level you want. But I really just want to go to the point as well where young New Yorkers it, what the programs of young New Yorkers are doing. And you know, I well, I'm just gonna say this. The system is is what it is there and it's wrong and it needs to be fixed. But at, at the same time, there's things we need to do to help these young people while we're in things the way they are. I, I'm gonna go long on this break. Do you have a comment on that real quick before we go to a break and then we could talk about young New Yorkers when we come back?
1: Oh no, I agree. It's hard to separate, you know, the themes and topics that I brought up and then not talk about diversion because they're so interrelated you know, uh, they have to, they, they serve as a foundation for why a young person gets involved in the criminal justice system in the first place. So right. no, I'm looking forward to having that conversation. All right,
0: We'll do that when we come back. Thanks Bobby. This is so awesome. I appreciate you being here. We'll be right back. Philanthropy and Focus.
3: Howdy. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7
1: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc.
4: Now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
5: Nonprofits need connections
4: to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. All
0: right, we're back. Join me in the attic. No time for silly jokes right now, Tommy, let's get moving. So, you know, the way we met, Bobby, the way we were connected was through the New York City Imagine Awards. Shout out to Ken Serini, Serini and Associates and the committee for the Imagine Awards. But uh, we met that way because David Ravel, who was the interim executive director of your organization, uh, and and I had a meeting to discuss when you when an organization makes it to the semifinals of the Imagine Awards. we then we meet with them. We do one on one interviews. And I met with David. And one of the things that David uh, shared with me was this national inventory on collateral consequences of conviction. And I did a, a video about it earlier this week, and it was just really promoting that you were going to be on the show. And I and I was thought I thought I was being cute. Like I started out the video, like, have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever made dumb mistakes, you know, in your youth? And I know I have and things to that effect. So. You talk about diversion. We talk about this organization founded in 2012. Young New Yorkers is a restored, restored art diversion program that allows young people to exit the criminal legal system, have their cases dismissed, sealed, and/or sealed, and avoid a lifelong criminal record. So, where where do you want to start as far as that goes? We we know that people get in in a spot. We know that people get jammed up, bad bad decision, bad mistake, I ha- I'm raising four people right now that I'm trying to figure out how to tell them how critical a mistake can be and how it can stick with you and you know, uh, let's let's just start with some of the folks that the organization has has worked with and, and some of the things you've seen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I want to start with a quote uh, from a, one of our participants. Uh, When he said this, it was just so resonating. And I started with him saying, you know, it was a question about what are your responses to raising the age, right? Do you think that raising age should have taken place? Why do you think it happened? And his response is, you know, 17 and 18 year olds, you know the difference between right and wrong on a very basic level. He's like, however, if we were all playing on the same playing field, then you can justify the culpability. But he said, but since we're not, you're dealing with rules that are not meant for us and i think that's a a very clear reality about where our young people look at some of the decisions that they're making right they're they're not disconnected from the reality of understanding that this the criminal justice system and the system in which they live in is vastly different of an interaction than their white counterparts right and because of that i think that lays a foundation for how they look at the world for how they make a decision to do, quote unquote, criminal type of conduct when sometimes it's a quality of life crime. It's a crime that's being done because I need to survive. But there's a lot, there's not a lot of room for folks coming from those certain communities who, to make those type of decisions on top of the extenuated circumstances, they led them to that. Uh, So the diversion work of why and why is necessary because the young folks who come to us they're coming from uh various places of trauma in their lives they're coming from very folk various places of decision making some may not even have the model or the framework for how to make positive healthy decision making but there's a presumption of maturity when you look at black and brown people right so that's a whole nother conversation about that but um so with that, the work that they come when they come to Y&Y, these are young folks who have been charged with a low-level misdemeanor. They received a DAT, which is a disappearance t- ticket, which is processed very similar to uh, original or, or regular arrest, with the exception that they come into the criminal court system, they get arraigned, that's the first time they're seeing a judge, they're getting presented with their charges, and then they're afterwards, if they're in a position to have counsel, which is another issue, right, because the, uh, they may not, Uh, if they're positioned to have counsel, then the counsel and the prosecutor's office can start talking about a solution for that case. right? And in most situations with Project Reset, which is more of a citywide initiative um, that was launched, I believe, in 2016 (laughs) um, across the board, uh, Project Reset allows young folks particularly that between those ages up to age of 25 to get a dismissal on their case um, if they successfully complete a project recess force. so that's what we offer to young folks their case to be dismissed sealed and there's no record they don't have to explain themselves there's nothing to follow them and then they can move on and so our programs give them the opportunity to kind of restart not from the point of the crime but the point from the decision making right how did you even get to the place of getting arrested
0: so all right so so much here and we could do the show for 5 hours. So it's it ha- not from the crime but what how did you get to that decision making process. So so it's really addressing this word is so overused in this society but I'm going to say it, a holistic view of what's going on in this individual's life not just saying well you made this mistake it's going back and supporting this person in different ways right and i know you know just a shout out again to angel and and the team over at avenues for justice gamal and, and the crew down there because um they talked have they've been on my program they've talked to me in the past about where the dollars that they may receive from the city to, to do the program would give like a window of six months to support one of their individuals. But that ain't it, man. That ain't enough. We're we're talking about, you know, family life situations. Is the young person going to school? Is that even on their radar, right? And addressing all this peripheral stuff around that incident of the arrest and and now what's going on, right? So there's so much more there to be discussed and to be involved with and so I, even and i remember when i so i had to do the right not had to I, I had this opportunity to do the write-up for the semi-finalists for young new yorkers for the imagine awards and i learned a lot about the the graduates of the program who are come back and are involved in in support and are, are ambassadors in some regard for young new yorkers in in the work that's going on so I want you just you You said something and I want to just cover it real quick so people could, if you could speak a little bit to raise the age, because I don't know if that's like something that everybody's aware of. But I mean, I'll just read what I what I have off the Internet, raise the age of legislation, provides certain individuals previously convicted of a crime with the opportunity to have their criminal record sealed if the individual remains crime free for 10 years they can apply to have that record sealed do you want to expand on that anymore for some people who might not be aware of, of that legislation
1: yeah uh race and age basically uh legislation that was introduced uh, in new york i believe in a uh, 2017, where the idea was to raise the age of criminal responsibility to 18, I think New York had been one of two states that was still trying 16, 17 year olds as adults. Um, so that was just ridiculous. And so it was done in a very scaffolded approach. Uh, we went from 16 to 17 and 17 to 18. And so now what we've done is that we've moved uh, cases that are either not ha- painless, uh car- out of criminal court and they're being tried either in the youth part uh, of court or they're being tried in family court. So it's a necessary process. Uh, Very old, uh, because this took New York so long, but I'm glad we did it. it's a necessary process to look at youth because these youth are predominantly black and Latinos, to look at black and Latino youth as actual young people because the mentality, science, was showing that uh the brain, particularly the frontal lobe, has not been fully developed yet to really hold culpability and accountability for young folks who commit certain crimes. So that's why raise the age was so important for us to give uh recognition to the the mindset of a young person when they're they're making these
0: decisions. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thank you for, for that. So uh, talk to me about the experience of a young person who, who comes to um, this restorative arts diversion program with young New Yorkers. Give me the feel. What's that, the welcome, the if that's the right word, or, or the interaction initially, and, and where that all happens, how that all happened?
1: Well, before COVID, um, which is almost like we have to start sometimes, before COVID, uh, yeah. before COVID, we were in person. Right. So in-person programming, uh, and of course, it's this hearsay for me, but in-person programming um, consisted of a group of young people would come in and they would start by unpacking uh, what does it mean to be here? Right. Uh, how did we get here? What was the purpose of you? joining here today and what choice did you meet that brought you to young new yorkers um it always starts with the icebreakers because it's necessary for us to kind of like just lay that foundation because you're being vulnerable so we want to create a safe space that you can talk amongst other folks who are in similar situated uh similar situations and have that conversation uh well facilitated by someone who's also well-trained, therapist, connected, person of color who gets it. And so even in that, they come into a space that looks like them, but feels different, right? Um, for one, we are located in the y, uh, WCA building. Uh, here in Boreham Hill. Um, So working in a space that also is providing supportive housing to uh, women in different points of transition, I think also kind of adds to the feeling when they come into a building like ours, right? Uh, They're not having to check in with security. They're not having to be packed down. They come in, they're open, they're said hello to, and they go in about their business. I think that even in itself, how you set the space up is welcoming. And then they're engaging into, Programming where they're really just almost like a therapeutic session when they're impacting their choice and decision making. They're talking about some of the legislative and legal issues, like I mentioned, race, the age, understanding what diversion means, understanding their rights right knowing when they are supposed to request an attorney, when they're supposed to speak. We do that because young folks need to understand how to protect themselves um, in the in their spaces because once they're done with us, it doesn't mean that they're not going to run to the police officers again. It's how they now navigate that situation which is imperative. So it's creating a safe space, a bumper for them. Then we move into also continuing the education about the legal system itself, giving them the right language, giving them the right phrasing, giving them the right tools so they can either A, also pass it on to their friends, right, because you know that they'll do that, but also so they feel more comfortable because we're not going to always be there. And then three, we move into a more, uh, a therapeutic approach where now we're getting into the nitty gritty tell us what happened tell us about the situation and you could see the young folks really start to kind of like how much can i give here right yeah. and it, um, the-
0: how, how, how open can i be can i right.
3: trust
0: folks right is that what you just explained is that like a is that over several meetings does that all sort of happen in that first day, when they're
1: one day, it's a it's, one day program.
0: Okay, wow. Yeah. So that's a lot to, to really yeah. go. For. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you jump into for the one day, we have one, two, three day programs. Like you said, they're called RAD um, and they're usually about two, two to two and a half hours. They can be um, and they're happening right now virtually, but we're returning the in-person programming soon and so they'll be happening in a group context. But yeah, that all that explained is within those short term programming that we have.
0: So I know uh, I'm looking at my notes from the write-up and I was this was the word I was looking for, the graduates program. So the graduates program has ongoing leadership and I'm not plagiarizing, I wrote this everybody. So the graduate <laughs> program, the graduates get an ongoing leadership training, advocacy training and the opportunities to testify in front of city council. So um, that type of, of opportunity now to not only have the change made for themselves, but to be part of the change to 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 you know to, to testify in front of city council to as i understand it and please again like you say you you know anecdotally because this is a new role for you but also they had the, these students with the artwork that they've done they would go and present in the courtrooms so can you speak a little bit to that i mean covid well you know
1: <laughs> yeah so uh before then what it is is that they'll present uh, it's really a presentation of all of their art that they've created month, uh, throughout their sessions. And so the idea is to go, it, it's almost like a, a reclaiming of the space that they started at, right? So they started the courtroom, now they're reclaiming the courtroom space and they're changing the way that you saw them for the first time. The first time you saw them as a defendant now and with this sort of perception, now through my art, through my rehabilitation, through my unpacking this, which still is an ongoing process, which all the community recognizes. The judges, the prosecutors, referring agency partners, community members are able to then come in there, and now the young person is representing themselves to that population as a new folk. That is, the, that is what our courtroom public exhibitions allow for the, that, that interaction and kind of like a reintroduction of the young person to society
0: for them. Game changing. I mean, to, I can't say enough about it. So that's the first thing that comes to me. They're completely different. They're a different individual now, right there. And and now from my conversation with David, who was the interim uh, director of the organization, he had shared with me that many of the um, the prosecutors, the the court folks, the the police officers, they. Are changed by this, you know, not just changed by this one individual. I mean, so much so that, again, I'm looking at my notes. But for certain crimes, um, when that DAT or desk appearance ticket is given to the young person, the police man or woman on the street is talking about the RAD program for young New Yorkers, like making a referral, right? To say, like, this is a program you can you can go. You know, you know to improve because they've seen the change in people I don't know if you can speak to too much about that but that's something that you know I had learned through the through the conversation with with um with David earlier so
1: yeah and that's the part that's the that's the imperativeness of having those relationships, excuse me with yep. and that's what community policing looks like you know being able to identify what resources exist to prevent mm-hmm. the crime from calculating again you right but
0: isn't that the thing oh man i'm cranky but like that's the whole thing like let's fix the thing right not just make it you know a never-ending cycle let's let's teach wait this is a 16 or 17 or 18 year old child yeah. why don't we try and impact the child and make them improve so then them and their family but then the society at large is better off what are we doing here i don't know bobby i'm all right well you know what we're doing
1: here tommy it's systemic right it's also profitable and it's also systemic
0: well it's and you of course it's systemic and it's profitable it's big business the the criminal justice it's big business you know, i i spoke over you i'm sorry say that again
1: no i said absolutely that's why programs like y and y should be fully funded by our city and our state government right we are supplementing for the cost of incarceration for you. We are literally leading the charge for what a new society should look like. We have to be able to reevaluate our society from all different points. And so if New York is in a position to truly be a model of using community-based alternatives as defaults for low-level crimes and particular uh, felonies, then we need to show what that looks like. I mean, you have California who's taking no reins and being more progressive across the board. I mean, given their criminal justice system is very antiquated, but nevertheless, there's still opportunities here in New York
0: incredible yeah and I, I like the greatest part about this show for me is i get to meet new people and i get to find out great stories but then i want to know how we can help and i want to know how we can support and how you know through connections and whatnot and i always like to do that as a final segment of the program which is coming up right at this break and it's bobby yes. this is our only our second interaction in history of our our relationship i just when we come back Talk to me about the future of this organization, which we all, which I know is, is a new organization to you as far as being the leader of it. Where are we going? What's coming up? What events are there? How can we support? I mean, I've mentioned it, I, I'll just put it out there. Tom Gretsch and Brendan Levy over at the Queens Chamber of Commerce, we need to get you connected to this organization and that just has to happen. So I'll make that happen, Bobby, when and if you want me to. But this is the kind of stuff we need to do. So when we come back, I wanna hear about the future what you believe would be great partners to play with like whether they be corporate local corporates whatever or agencies or whatever i just want to hear about that because my people that listen to this program and connect with me and are in my world i want to get them to to be involved and that's that well is that okay love it thank you let's do it all right we'll be right back for
2: Listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24
1: hours a day.
5: Nonprofits need connections
4: to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. And we're back.
0: This is the lightning round. Bobby you might not know this but I always wanted to be a game show host so this is the game show host part this is the lightning round all right so talk to me I I cannot wait to get a whole nother show where we can just talk about all the things we've talked about in further depth but right now I want to bring it home about why and why what's upcoming how can people find out more or is there a gala all of that for us and and who can we get you connected to
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'll start off where you can find us. Um, You should definitely follow us on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter. We're all at Young New York, uh, Young New Yorkers. uh, So you can find us there uh, to connect LinkedIn as well um and so that's that as far as what's coming up we are looking to have a gala in the spring i'm looking forward to sharing that information once that's finalized we'll be celebrating our 10th year anniversary so that's going to be very exciting um we also will be having uh, a fall campaign coming up in the next few months. So we'll be sharing that information on how people get involved um, and donate there. Uh, Also, what we're looking to do with y and we're in a really great position to grow uh, and transition to a whole new phase. The world is our oyster, right? And so with that, we're looking to, one, make sure that we are expanding our direct services and really embedded them into artistic expression. And so with that, we would love to deepen our connection, particularly with the Brooklyn Artistic Community, right? Whether that's through foundations, councils, independent artists themselves, we'd love to bring them more into the fold, right? Be part of those conversations. Uh, and then also with like streetwear fashion, there's a lot of opportunities out there you want to build with. Uh, there's organi- organizations who particularly fund the type of work that we're doing, like Arts for Justice, we would love to connect with, um, some larger the corporations. I think I have a lot of ideas for what partnership can look like especially for those who are looking to expand their corporate social responsibility arm um, and how that strengthens. Uh, even for financial institutions who are uh, thinking about ESG factors, right, and we fall into those social governments factors when you think about social impact investment, that's why and why uh, we were also looking to get a building space, you know, we're looking to be able to get a grant. So we have a space that really is an artistry residency area for them, you know, we can really grow with something to call our own. Uh, And another thing that we are hoping to be able to do is increase brand awareness, Um, learning more about the work of diversion and the role of Y&Y, the role we play in our community as far as being a default for our misdemeanor cases, low levels, the work we're doing in Manhattan, the work we're going to be doing in Queens eventually. Um, The more that we can expand um, and get people engaged, through either connecting with us through our social medias or coming to our events and our exhibits, we will be returning to having public exhibits soon. So we're looking in the spring. Um, So once that's out there, everything will always be on our social medias. But really, the more that we can educate our communities about the role of diversion, the role of really looking about defining some safety for yourselves, uh, the more that we can have that connection impact, um, I think that as a sector, we can get to the point where we may not be needed for that. We can start doing more preventative work so
0: wow i love it i love all of that it's so expansive so much there um i just i wish you had an event coming up next week because i want to hang out with them (laughs) uh i I sit on the board for an organization called the spirit of Huntington art center which is out here on long island and much of the work they do uh is around the uh individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities uh veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder um and they have an artworks program, which is a, yeah, it's a program for uh, young people who are aging out of of services from a perspective of intellectual developmental disabilities. And it's like, it's an incredible program. And we have a family foundation in memory of my cousin, Linda, the Lindy Lou Foundation, and all the money we raise goes to organizations in the special needs or IDD space. And yeah, and we bought, not me, the organization has purchased a number of Apple computers for the artworks program at the Spirit of Huntington, which apparently I'm, is that direction because I'm pointing there with, with my thumb. I don't know why I'm doing that. But, uh, but it, it's just when I hear art, it always makes me think of, of that program. So at some point, maybe we can all collab and, and, and show you what we're doing. But it, and the artworks program is teaching these individuals with different abilities how to do graphic design work digital artwork uh they they've in fact i i haven't shared this but my we own an employee benefits agency uh vanguard insurance agency that's what we i do professionally but we're going through a rebrand right now and who's doing our rebrand mission vision value the whole thing but the spirit of huntington art center so more to come on all that. i rarely ever promote on my business on this show but that's what we do so um it sounds like that might be a cool hookup that we can, you know, we can get to know each other that way. And they have art on um we were out at the Hamptons Art Fair a couple of weeks ago because they have this special needs art fair that goes on the road. It's like a traveling um art show. So we can I think, yeah, yeah. I think you would dig it. I think the organization would dig it. I think we could there's probably there's something here we can collab on for sure. You know, I we'll have to we'll have to check that out. Um look, Bobby, we're at time right now. Um I hope this was a good opportunity for you to really get out the message you want to. I want to find ways where we can have another show and and talk about you know these other topics, whether it's ways that um that the RAD program from YNY is addressing them or just how we need to address things at a, at a at a larger level. Like you said, you know, once we solve one problem, there's more problems we we need to address as you know not only as organizations but as a society. So anything you want to leave the, the crew with, the gang with before we. Uh, we sign off here.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, thank you so much for having us. I'm glad that we were able to make this connection and that your audience was able to learn more about young New Yorkers, um, the folks who are leading the charge, the importance of the word. Um, stay connected. With us you know come to us some exhibits follow us on our websites and our social medias we'll post everything there but continue the conversations you know continue finding ways to stay connected in your community uh learn more about why this type of uh why diversion work is necessary um and i look forward to continuing the conversation with you tommy and growing the relationship this is gonna be great
3: so do i congrats
0: on your new gig congrats on the new role you're we're going to you're an incredible asset to them and I, I imagine they're going to be an incredible asset to you as well right i mean it's the work it's about the work as we keep saying right it's about doing it so thanks again for being here um and make it a great day everybody we'll see you next week on the show